93.3 and AM 560 KWTO. This is the Elijah Har Show. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at 933KWTO and stream us on the 933 mobile app. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Elijah Har Show. This is State Representative Bishop Davidson filling in for Elijah. And if you're thinking you've got deja vu, it's not you. It's the fact that this is my second show today, uh, second opportunity to fill in. And by the end of this show, I will have been on the radio for six hours, which is quite a bit. Five and a half hours, I guess. Um, Frizz is like, that's small potatoes. You you know nothing. Nah, I mean, <laughs> it's we got the B team out here today because Elijah's gone, Garrett's gone. So they pulled me off the string and put me in this chair. And hey, you, I saw your beautiful face. You know what? Here, so. You know what? You know what? It's a strong B team. It is very strong. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we do have a good lineup today. Cody Smith, our budget chair, as well as candidate for treasurer. Uh, is on right now. We've got John Patterson, a current floor leader and speaker elect of the House, followed by former state rep and Second Amendment Preservation Act sponsor Jared Taylor, and then a mayoral candidate from Republic Eric Franklin, Congressman Eric Burleson, and then topping it all off with gubernatorial candidate Jay Ashcroft as well. Let's start with Cody, though. Cody, are you there? Bishop, I'm here. Good to be with you this afternoon. Yeah, no, it's good to hear from you. It's been a busy week. Uh, I know I was a little bit frazzled by the end of it, although uh, I know that uh, you budget guys have been hard at work as well. I feel like uh, I feel like you guys are, are the bell rings uh, on the House floor, and I see you sprint out, sprint across, make your vote, and get back to work in the budget office. Yeah, it's, it's that time of year. Uh, lots of long days, early mornings, late nights, and um, there are a lot of decisions that go into be to making uh, or writing the state budget. And certainly, as House Budget Chairman, it's an honor to have the responsibility to lead the House through the process. And so, uh, this is my sixth year doing it. And it's hard to believe that it's the time has flown by so far, so fast. But yeah. um, it's a process I enjoy despite the long hours and uh, the, the difficulty that comes along with making a series of trade-offs. You know, in, in Missouri, we do have a balanced budget requirement, and thank yeah. goodness for that. That means the government cannot spend more than the revenues that it receives. And so there have to be decisions, trade-offs made, where you can't do everything that you'd like to do necessarily, but you have to prioritize. And so not unlike taxpayers and your listeners, yeah. who prioritize their own household budgets, we do the same thing at the state level. No, and I think uh, I think there's no one better in the legislature in terms of whom I trust uh, to do that fiscally, responsibly, and uh, and conservatively as well, because uh, it's, a, it's a lot that goes into it, a lot of prioritizations. But you would like to move on from your sixth year of orchestrating that budget process um, and instead be a part of administering those dollars, instead be a part of the executive team involved with the budget. Uh, you're running for treasurer now, which involves a whole lot of things, I feel like, a whole lot of responsibilities that, that are intermingled with budget chair, but but different too. Yeah, I um, am seeking the office of state treasurer, as you say, and I think my background as the budget chairman and having done that for several years consecutively really makes me well qualified for the job. It's essentially the state's chief financial officer, and certainly I've learned a lot about the state's finances and 
how we receive our revenue, where those, where the bulk of those expenses go or where they're, where they're, where they come from and kind of what's driving those things. And so to continue to have a voice in the fiscal policy of the state is the goal here. And again, I feel like I'm well qualified to do that. No, I think that, uh, that that's spot on. There's something I had learned just personally. Uh, I, I chair uh, the Education Reform Committee, and there was a, a conversation on a bill that we were listening to. And in the conversations, I had learned something that I didn't really know before and uh, I, I knew that our, our empowerment scholarship accounts, which is one of the biggest, most significant education uh, reform bills that we've passed in, in recent years, that the treasurer not only is in charge of administering those, but there was some rulemaking uh, associated with that as well. This was something new to me, something that I, I wasn't quite aware of. Um, I, I don't know if you'd heard of this or, or seen this before, but uh, but it was coming from from different different families who were concerned that some of the rulemaking from the treasurer's office was not was not homeschool friendly was not helpful um, and and ultimately wasn't in line with our our sort of education reform agenda which is at the end of the day oriented around empowering parents. Yes, exactly right. As you say, that was a, a program that we got started in 2021 by statute and it is housed in the state treasurer's office. And frankly, it's one of the things that, that draws me most to that role is the ability to work. It's known as the most scholars program or the yeah. empowerment scholarship account program. And uh, so the most scholars program is something that I'm passionate about expanding and trying to make sure that it works well and offering it to as many children as possible in the state of Missouri. And as you have alluded to, Bishop, there are a lot of details within the the administration or execution of these programs that really kind of uh, make it important, you know, who, who, who is in these roles and, and what they would prioritize, what they care about, how they would utilize the, the duties of the office uh, to a certain end is important. And so I'm passionate about education reform, about school choice, uh, about empowering parents to make choices on behalf of their children's uh, educational futures. I think they are the ones that are best qualified to choose, obviously, what's best for their kids. And so uh, the the Most College Program is uh, one of our most recent and greatest victories in that category. And uh, to your point, the rule promulgation process or, or the way that the treasurer administers this program, there's a lot of latitude between statute and the deployment of these resources in the form of scholarships. And so my commitment uh, to, to the taxpayers and voters is that I will do everything in my power to expand that as far as it can be expanded within, in the, in the, within the power of the state treasurer to offer it to as many families in the state of Missouri as possible. And, and that includes uh, working with the state legislature to change the statute. In fact, I have a bill uh, that I filed this year on the on the very topic that would simply remove the geographic restrictions yeah. from the the most scholars program. As you know, um, it is now limited to cities of thirty five thousand people or more, uh, of which there are about twenty in the state of Missouri. So if you don't live inside of the city limits of one of those cities, you are out of luck and you are unable uh, to apply for the most scholars program. And so it has some other conditions as well. It is it is uh, uh, means-based, so it's for low-income families to, to begin with, but uh, we need to make that available to all families across the state, and we also need to increase the capacity of the scholarship. So there's a lot of work to do there, 
Yeah. Uh, and so not only as, you know, my last year in the Missouri House moving, uh, trying to, to promote that program and, 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 and grow it, as state treasurer, again, I would do everything in my power to promote it and make it available to as many people, as many children as possible. And your experience, of course, in the legislature, uh, whether that's done this year or in years from the treasurer's office, uh, the experience in the legislature is going to obviously help you in navigating those waters and in, and in accomplishing that task. It, it is, yeah. It's it's uh, it's helpful. The experience I have translates directly to the office of state treasurer. The experience I have as a leader in the legislature helps uh, inform my uh, understanding of how these things work and how the function of the uh, the treasurer's office would work specifically around administering programs like the most college program or uh, the state treasurer sits on a, on a series of boards and commissions that make decisions that impact the fiscal policy of the state of Missouri. Uh, the Mosier's board is one of those. That's the state employees retirement pension fund board. The state treasurer has a seat on that commission or I'm sorry, on that board. And that is the biggest liability of the state of Missouri. So for taxpayers, driving efficiency in those big pension funds ultimately leads to savings. And I'm all about reducing the tax burden on the on the residents of Missouri so that we can cut taxes. I would love to ultimately eliminate the Missouri income tax. Bishop, last time I was on, we talked about that. We need yeah. to get rid of our state's income tax so we can compete like Texas, uh, Tennessee, Florida have done. Uh, attracting new people to the state and um, making those taxes as low as possible and making them as voluntary as possible through things like sales taxes rather than income taxes. So um, all of that is, you know, things that I would work on within the uh, role of state treasurer, and I'm excited to pursue the opportunity. No, I think that, I think that sounds good. Uh, getting rid of income taxes, um, expanding the empowerment of parents and the decision-making of their child's education, and then just general fiscal responsibility. It's sort of foundational. If you're able to do these things well, trim the fat, be efficient where efficiency is needed, that's what enables uh, the legislature to, to cut away at those taxes. That's what enables the legislature to uh, put money back into the taxpayer's pocket. Of course, you wouldn't be an executive who's only um, acting in efficiency for efficiency's sake. You'd be a coworker with the legislature too, given your experience there, and I think you would you'd do a great job at it. Thank you, Bishop. I appreciate that very much. So, uh, Cody, I, I appreciate it. We are we are. Oh, wait a second. My brain was a little bit off there. We actually have till four twenty. This is a twenty minute segment. This is doesn't it, wake it, up Springfield. It's not a wake up Springfield. Segment. Yeah. Normally, I operate on fifteen minute segments instead of the twenty minute segment, um, and so. I was uh, I was teeing up to send you off, but I get you for a few more minutes if you don't mind. Uh. <laughs> I would love I would love to talk to you in a few more minutes, uh, Bishop, specifically about kind of the good news for for me out of the week, and I think for folks that are pro life in the in the state of Missouri, of which I know many of them listen to this show. Uh, good news coming out of Jefferson City. My House Bill twenty six thirty four, which is known as the Defund Planned Parenthood Bill. Okay. Came out of committee this week and uh, was voted out in general laws. And we'll be heading to the floor as soon as next week, hopefully. And um, this bill, this this goes back, and there's a story here, Bishop, that I think your listeners have heard before. But going back to 2016, 2017, 
the, the Missouri General Assembly sought to defund Planned Parenthood and not to do business through our Medicaid program yeah. with abortion providers in the state of Missouri. And we had some, some language in the state budget that effectively did that. We stopped doing business with Planned Parenthood or any entity like that within the state of Missouri. And would you know it, there was a litigation that was filed and went all the way to the Supreme Court. And in this, the Supreme Court, in what is known as the Planned Parenthood case, struck down that budget language and said, hey, you can't uh, restrict um, which Medicaid providers you like and which ones you don't like in the state's appropriation language. And so we then tried a second approach back through the budget again, different kind of a modified version, which we recently had a decision on again with the Missouri Supreme Court. And so this has been a, uh, you know, back in 2017, all the way to, to this year, 2024, we've been fighting this fight for these many years through the budget process. And so this bill uh, that, that I'm talking about today will seek to permanently defund Planned Parenthood through state statute and just kind of close the book on this once and for all. That's what I was going to say. This is really the nail in the coffin, isn't it? Because we've been doing a lot of good work in the pro-life movement here in Missouri. And this is, uh, this is kind of the final, the final piece as I understand it. Is that a good way of thinking about it? Just really, really driving that last nail in the coffin? It is. Yes, it is. It's just kind of saying that we do not want to do any business with any abortion providers in the state of Missouri, full stop. And we know we've effectively outlawed abortion in the state of Missouri, but we still see organizations like Planned Parenthood that that provide services uh, to Medicaid recipients in the state of Missouri. These are what they would call women's health services, even men's health services at this point. But we know if we're doing business with Planned Parenthood, we're ultimately subsidizing those abortions that they may do out of state. In fact, there was a video that was obtained by Project Veritas late last year in Kansas City. This was Planned Parenthood in Kansas City, uh, where it seems like if, uh, well, the, the video would lead us to believe that they are transporting perhaps even minor children across state lines for abortions yeah. and supporting those efforts uh, through you know, a variety of their services, having them transported, coordinating those efforts. Uh, you know, I don't know if they would pay for lodging or anything like that. But again, that's where you get into if you're doing business with the Planned Parenthood in Missouri, you could be supporting abortion efforts outside of the state of Missouri. And so we don't want any we don't want any anything to do with that. We don't want Missouri taxpayers to be subsidizing that activity in any way. And so this bill would effectively end that for good and just kind of put this behind us and we could all move on. No, I love it. I I look forward to it coming to the floor. You said it's uh, it's through committee now, I guess, is it going to the rules committee next and uh, hopefully to the calendar after that? Yeah, we've got a rules hearing on Monday and um, I expect and my hope is that we'll perfect and third read it next week. And I know you may want to ask your next guest about that. Uh, Representative John Patterson, our majority leader, uh, he would uh, be the guy to put it on the floor. And I, I think that he would love to do that. And so I expect that we'll see it go to the floor next week and hopefully get perfected in third read and sent to the Senate so they can pick it up and get it to the governor's desk. Well, I, I, I appreciate it. Appreciate your hard work in the legislature. Appreciate your work on that, uh, you know, closing up that final chapter and really, really being, I would say, the most pro-life state in the union after that, and hopefully leading the way in a lot of ways. Uh, Cody Smith, uh, budget chair now, state representative now, also candidate for treasurer, will be filing on Tuesday, doing good work on the pro-life front, doing good work on the fiscal responsibility front. 
uh, doing good work all around. We certainly appreciate you calling in and giving us an update. Thank you, Bishop. Appreciate you, my friend, and happy to be with you this afternoon. Look forward to doing it again sometime soon. Sounds good. Thank you, Cody. Guys, uh, we are going to take a quick break here, and we will be right back with an in-guest, an in-studio guest, rather, uh, John Patterson, state rep from Kansas City area, but also our current floor leader and speaker-elect. So hold on, and we'll be right back. Visit GormanSharp.com for more information. Gorman Sharp Funeral Home, our family serving yours. This is the Elijah Har Show with Springfield's premier news, analysis, and opinion on 93.3 and AM 560, the new KWTO. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Elijah Har Show, 93.3, 560 AM. This is State Representative Bishop Davidson filling in for Elijah and gladly doing so. Only segment two of this show, but like segment 16 today. Been on the radio a lot. I'm sorry. Folks are probably tuning in right now and going, wait a second, wasn't I just listening to him on the way to work? But it's a good Friday, happy Friday, the weather's nice, and we've got the speaker-elect here in studio, down in Springfield, Missouri, uh, to chat with us. John, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Bishop. Thanks for having me. Always great to be down in uh, Greene County, and uh, I didn't know I was going to be on the Elijah Har show. I thought it was your show, but great to be on Elijah's show. Um, you know, Elijah's uh, become a great friend. I'm looking at his face right now on this uh, poster, and uh, I guess uh, to be on radio down here, you got to be young, handsome, Green Countyans. I guess. Yeah, ap- apparently so. So All right. uh, you've got uh, to be with you've you. got two of those. But uh, you were you were elected floor leader a year and a half ago, I guess. Speaker elect about six months ago. You'll be becoming speaker in about ten months or so. You know, in in terms of the timeline of things. And are currently floor leader now, which I, I think a lot of folks know speaker-elect off the top of their head, but they, mm-hmm. they don't always think of what floor leader is. And it's easy for me to just describe it. it it's the second most powerful position in the Missouri House. Oh, is it? Okay. What, don't you think? Yeah. I, yeah, I'd, I I'd say so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it yeah. co- comes into contact with the most pieces of legislation yeah. the most often. Yeah. You know, the way I describe it to people is it's um, kind of like being an air traffic controller. Yeah, there's 2,500 bills floating around, and you're just trying to find the ones that can land mm-hmm. safely and do it without people crashing into each other. And then I also say it's kind of like being a chief resident. Um, you've got your all your residents and uh, surgery residents, and they're trying to uh, make it through residency, and you're kind of the one kind of yeah. telling them where to go. Who yeah. Can, yeah, who can talk? No, and, that's a, I think that's a good way as a, yeah. as a surgeon that 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 I'm the chief you know, resident of the Missouri House. Given you're a surgeon, that makes sense. That analogy, that's good. So we have uh, had a pretty busy week, surprisingly busy session. I mean, it, it's sort of been slow in some ways and fast in other ways. The Senate's obviously been interesting. We've kind of done a, a lot of heads down work, I feel like, in the Missouri House on the Missouri floor. You know, and I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention we had Cody Smith on in our last segment, and he's got a piece of legislation, I think, coming to, through rules this week. And I don't know when it's scheduled to get on the calendar, but I know he's hoping to have it up soon uh, to really make Missouri, I would say, the most pro-life state kind of in the union and, and stop all, all sorts of funding or even uh, peripheral funding to any, any, any Planned Parenthood, any abortion providers that are out there. 
Yes, Cody's uh, bill is moving. Cody's uh, also become a great friend, terrific rep uh, down here from Jasper County. Uh, he's got the bill that would prohibit our tax dollars from going to Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we see that and it's ready to go, we'll we'll get that uh, fired up and, and get that done for the people of uh, Southwest Missouri. That'll be awesome. That'll be awesome. I know the listeners here are going to be excited to hear that as well. What are some of the other things that we've been seeing this week? Um, I, I know I've been running around like a chicken with my head cut off just talking Ed Policy and the Ed Committee and, and, and talking with a lot of senators about that topic. Uh, what were some of the things that we had passed or worked through on the House floor? Well, I think we've done a number of uh, good things today that uh, I call them grocery store bills. Yeah. You know, when you're back home and you're talking, you can get deep into education policy. And I sure. know I know you can do that. But uh, when I talk with people at the grocery store this weekend and I always run into constituents, uh, I, I would love to be able to tell them. We did a couple bills that I think you'd be interested in. One is um, most people I know have a Netflix or a mm-hmm. Hulu or a Paramount uh, subscription. And there's no reason that they should have extra taxes assigned to them because of, they're using uh, what we call the right of way in yeah. your, like a cable. Yeah. You know, you have to dig that up. And so if you're just streaming and you're not uh, using any of the uh, property of the municipality or the city, uh, there's no reason that they should assess extra taxes, which, of course, Netflix would just add on to your bill. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whatever it is, $17, they would make it 19 and so what we said is uh, you can't add those extra fees just to do it um, and uh, take taxpayers' money. It's, like, it's so, like adding fees for any other website. Right. Yeah. And so uh, we had a bill that uh, said you can't do that. So I think that'll that's a good consumer bill um, uh, for the people back home. And then another thing that's great is uh, property taxes. I don't know how it is for you guys down here, um, but property tax, personal property taxes especially have gotten out of control in Jackson County. Yeah. And so my my you know Toyota is worth more than it was when I yeah, bought it yeah, yeah, three yeah. years ago because of just the way they've raised the taxes. And so one of the bills that we did was that let's just treat it like uh, property tax, mm-hmm. and so that there are limits to how uh, much they can raise it. Raise that uh, just another consumer protection measure that's good for all the people down here. Yeah, just taxpayer protection. And we, we we have a, I would say we probably have a better assessor or a better tax environment as a whole than jackson county or right. st louis city or st louis county even but it's something that that should be thought of nonetheless and i, I like that kind of grocery item lists yeah and, and also just some of the fundamentals when you said grocery list i thought you know just some of the fundamentals <laughs> That's you know, right. like like going down the list just yeah. making sure business is taken care of making just, sure you have bread eggs milk the whole thing yeah just when you run into mrs smith in the aisle you know in the in the in the pasta aisle yeah and she says what are you guys doing well these are things that you can say and and you guys in green county get to elect your assessor that's right in jackson county we don't that's that's one of the problems that we have so J- jackson county jackson that's kansas city kansas city uh, we appreciate you coming all the way down yeah is you yeah you're in lee summit but you you consider yourself can it's is it like i live in republic but mm-hmm. i say i'm from springfield yeah it's pretty much the same thing um you know, it's a suburb, but, uh, yeah, I'm a least Summitian first, mm-hmm. but I really do uh, care about Kansas City, and Kansas City's been, always been home for me. No, I, I, uh, I, I like Kansas City. I think it's a, it's a good city. You know, you're, you're in Cardinals territory, though. I will say that. We've got the Springfield Definite Cardinals. Cardinals vibe down here. Yeah. Absolutely. And so we're connected to St. Louis through 44. And so there is, I think, a, a sort of bias that bends that way. Yeah, absolutely. Is what I've noticed. Yeah. But as I've been in the legislature, especially, I've gotten to know Kansas City. You know, St. Louis is the last old city, and Kansas City is the first new one. 
It is. That's the, that's the way I see it. And it, and together they make this really cool Missouri I-70 connection. It does. Uh, it, it's a special thing. And we really, I think we're lucky to have that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I mean, I, I, I haven't talked about this yet on the radio and this first I've been on the radio. I was at the parade there in Kansas City. And yeah. It was, I mean, it was really tragic to see. It's really senseless in a lot of ways. I didn't know, have, have there been anything in the community? Cause I feel like the media didn't pay that much attention to it except for maybe the day or the 24 hours thereafter. I mean, in terms of the shooting there at the Kansas City Chiefs parade, has there been other things that have kind of happened within the city there or any sort of coming together? Oh, absolutely. You know, anytime something like that happens in a community, you know, you, you, you tend to, kind of come together. And, and in Kansas City, it's still something that's weighing uh, heavy on our hearts. Yeah. Uh, we did have uh, one person uh, that was killed from it yeah. um, and uh, multiple other people that are injured. And, and you're starting to see that slow trickle of news come out and, um, and seeing how it happened, why yeah. it happened, what the circumstances were. And I think what we're seeing is that it was just completely senseless, unfortunately, which it was just um, just violence between uh, people, um, and uh, yeah, it's just very sad to find out how it happened and why. Yeah, it's always a, a challenging time, and it's also politically heightened too. Unfortunately, I mean, I, I know that we had Brad Hudson on earlier this morning, who spoke a little bit about his prayer from the dais, and oh, did you guys? Yeah, okay. and and had a had a bit of a protest, if you will, uh, there on the house floor, and, yeah, and uh, you know profanity used on the house floor as well um and, and i've seen other things that 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 our our democrat colleagues have called for or asked for or demanded or however you'd like to phrase it um but i you know i, I was curious what your your thoughts are being a kansas city lee summit but a kansas city guy yourself well i think what you're saying and, and i've been very clear with my colleagues i think we should always welcome a discussion because I think when the facts are on your side, you can mm-hmm. you can make those arguments clearly and with respect to both sides. And the other side of the aisle also has uh, good points to make too. Uh, what we don't want to see, and I've been very clear, is is we don't want this senseless act of uh, violence to cause us to change the way that we govern. And so uh, there's there's no reason that because this happened that we in the legislature would do anything that would erode the Second Amendment rights of uh, our folks back home. And, and what you're seeing here is that uh, these were this was a stolen weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, they broke multiple laws. Uh, he hit, the person allegedly had a, had a gun um, uh, arrest prior. Yeah. Uh, there's just no law that I can see yeah. that would have changed uh, people doing this. In a, in a crowded parade setting, unfortunately. And, it, and it, it seems to me that a lot of times when we, we read about these tragedies, it, it does come back to, and it's a general, we talked about it this morning. I had Melanie Stinnett here, and I said, what, what issue are you hearing? What issue are you going to add to your, your, pa- you know, your little pamphlet, your little flyer? Because we talked health care. And she said, honestly, crime prevention. It's crime prevention. And, and we've got a school board race here. And, and you know what he says his number one issue is? It's behavioral issues in the classroom. And I yeah. see those things as all being more or less connected. Absolutely. And we hear about it in St. Louis. We see mm-hmm. sort of tragedy like this in Kansas City. And uh, and there's a knee jerk, right, because we want it to be an easy fix. How right. easy would it be to say, oh, this is what it has to be, and that's it, right. now we're done. 
am, and, and I feel like we're refusing to maybe wrestle with the harsh reality of the situation, which is we've got a we've got a culture that is uh, deteriorating. We've got a family unit that is deteriorating, and, and and those things create an environment in which violence occurs. And we've had just as many guns per capita in the past, so I don't think it's linked to the guns. And I, I, I certainly appreciate your commitment to the Second Amendment as well. Um, you know, that's a, a an issue near and dear to my heart. Actually, the Second Amendment Preservation Act, which is uh, which received oral arguments today in federal yes, it court. Did. Yes, it did. Uh, I have actually been busy all day, but we've got Jared Taylor on next to talk about those oral arguments with us. Um, you know that it's near and dear to my heart. That was the first bill that I ever filed uh, in the legislature. And so it, 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 it comes to welcome ears not only to me, but all our listeners, all the folks here in Greene County. And, of course, any, uh, any, any constitutionalist, any constitutional Missourian who, who wants their rights to be protected uh, across, the, you know, across the state. So I appreciate that a lot. Um, but yeah, it, and you it, said it really. Um, it's the, all the things that you mentioned, addressing crime, uh, education, poverty, all the reasons why someone would do this. Mm-hmm. Those are the hard things. Yeah. It's much, it's much easier to say, let's get rid of the guns. Let's uh, have another ordinance. Let's have another law. But the really hard conversations that we're, we don't talk about, those are the things that would make a difference. Yeah. And I not mean, taking away guns or rights from yeah. law abiding citizens. Yeah. I mean, how do you increase literacy rates? How do you right. increase math proficiency? How do you create opportunities educationally? Um, how do you not keep uh, wages so plateaued, you know, and, and so stagnant as they have been for decades? Those are a lot harder. And even if you were to start to fix them, um, you you wouldn't see those fixes not for, a for a while. while right? Absolutely. It would take time. It'd certainly take longer than your and I's two-year right. term. And so it's not easy. And so we as politicians, we, we like the easy stuff that we get credit for. Yeah. Yeah. If you do, if you address all this other stuff, I think you'd see a difference. But yeah. those are the hard things. Well, so in, in your time as speaker, I mean, it's a, it's a huge opportunity. Um, I have said before, and I'll say it again. I, I think it's the second year floor leader, the first year speaker, to the second year speaker. It's the most powerful lawmaker in Missouri. I think it's more powerful than any of the senators. Uh, it's a very, very significant role. Um, what are some of the things you're thinking about? I mean, I, I know you well. We're, we're friends. I, I, I tend to think that you are a legacy guy, and I think you see the long term. Uh, what, what are some things that you think we can address in your last two and a half years here to maybe, maybe create an environment where things like what happened in Kansas City last week don't happen anymore? Yeah, I think, uh, I think you talked about it before, but I'm very passionate about education and health care. Yeah. So, um, these acts of violence happen uh, because people uh, don't have uh, the education that they need. They they uh, resort to crime. So uh, what I would like to see is that every kid in Missouri uh, have the same opportunities that my kids have. And my kids um, uh, go to the Blue Springs Public School District. It's yeah. the same one that I went to. Uh, we love it. It's a great district. Um, and if it didn't meet our needs, we would homeschool. We, would, uh, we do have the ability to go to private school. But they're getting, we have that choice. Yeah. What I would like is that every person in Kansas City, in St. Louis, mm-hmm. um, in Greene County, in Southwest, uh, in Branson, um, that they have the same opportunities that yeah. my kids do. And then, again, that goes back to, um, you know, the hard things that we're talking about. It's not easy. Education, whenever you talk education, 
Yeah. It is not easy. It's not a short conversation. But I, I do believe that would do more for people yeah. in this state. And then, um, and we know education is important because what I'd love to see, and I think we'll see this with the, I don't know if you've heard, but we have the World Cup coming mm-hmm. to Kansas yeah. City. Yeah. Um, I would love it if, um, you know, some, somebody from a company out there comes to Kansas City and sees, wow, this would be a great place to live and have my, com- my company here. But they need people that are educated and can do the things that companies need. So we need that workforce. So again, it just all goes back to education. And so if, if there's one thing I really want to work on, if I should be lucky enough to be reelected, I want to work on that. And I want to work on it with you, Bishop. Well, I appreciate, and appreciate I know the commitment. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, the next, uh, the next few years here. I've got four and a half years left in the, in the Missouri house. Should the people keep electing me, they get to, they get a shot two more times. I get a shot two more times. Yes, they do. And, uh, I feel pretty good about your chance. I, I, I feel, <laughs> I feel decent about my, I've been working really hard. I, I got you asked do. by some high schoolers you did. You did earlier, why, why do you think you get elected? I said, well, I've, I've done exactly what I said I would do and I've been really accessible. So, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully if there's more that they want from me, they'll let me know and I can, I can meet that, uh, that, that desire as well. But John, I really appreciate you coming on. We are yeah, wrapping up studio. this segment. Yeah, I know. In studio. What a, what a privilege, honor to have you as a guest and, uh, welcome to Green County. Welcome back to Green County, I guess I should say. It's great to be here. I married a Green County girl or a Southwest Missouri girl, so it's always great to be here. There you go. There you go. Guys, you're listening to the Elijah Har Show, 93.3560 AM. This is, Bishop Davidson filling in for Elijah. We have another guest in studio, Jared Taylor, former state rep, to talk to us about the Second Amendment Preservation Act, which was uh, in a federal court today with oral arguments, and we're going to get his analysis as he was the sponsor. I was a sponsor, too. That was back when I was a freshman. You'll get the full scoop after this quick break. I just want someone... Most of sunny skies. We all rebound to the 70s going into Sunday. For Color 10, Fox 49. I'm meteorologist Tom Schmidt. This is the Elijah Har Show. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at 933KWTO and stream us on the 933 mobile app. Welcome back to the Elijah Har Show. This is Bishop Davidson filling in for Elijah Har. And we are two segments down, just four segments to go. Moving by quick. I did three and a half hours this morning, two hours now. Piece of cake. Uh, we are happy that you're tuning in on your drive home right now, though. And we've got another guest in studio at John Patterson, speaker-elect previously. Now we've got Jared Taylor, former state rep. Did a lot of good work in the Missouri House, uh, but what I would like to talk about is uh, your Second Amendment Preservation Preservation Act, which I'm I'm honored and privileged to say is our Second Amendment Preservation Act. You let me uh, file that bill and roll it in with you. One of the best experiences I've had in legislature within those first three weeks. I had a bill moving through the process. Yeah. I learned so much, uh, and uh, and I've told many people how gracious you were in that whole process and let me kind of come alongside you, and. Uh, and it's been a crazy ride since then. Of course, we passed the yep. Second Amendment Preservation Act, which basically says, um, listen, feds, we're going to use the anti-commandeering doctrine to say you can't commandeer our local law enforcement agencies, highway patrol, you know, all your PDs, whatever it may be, to enforce federal gun laws, which we know and have seen 
are increasingly infringing on our Second Amendment and right. increasingly dangerous to the whole balance of power of our republic, as far as I'm concerned. So Missouri took a huge step. Of course, the courts have now been battling it out, and uh, we had oral arguments in federal court this morning. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to tune in, but as I understand, you were able to take some notes and get, yep. a, get some insight just to give some context to the listeners. Thank you so much again, Jared, for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bishop. Uh, uh, happy to be on and uh, talk about an issue that I'm uh, passionate about. You know, the Second Amendment Preservation Act, uh, as you said, was a way that uh, the state can use the Tenth Amendment uh, to assert its its uh, state's authority mm-hmm. um, and push back against the feds. You know, we should be using this, though, not only on Second Amendment rights. We should be using it on so many other issues. That's right. The, SEPA was just the uh, road the base. Yeah, the, the, the yeah. roadmap of what we could do um, for future yeah. um, issues. So I'm excited about where it's going. Other states are using it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm working um, with Missouri Firearms Coalition in several states uh, to yep. get this passed, uh, yep. Ohio, Iowa, yep. uh, Louisiana. I'm working with a state rep yep. down there. So it's, it's, you know, it's really catching fire. And once it gets through this court process, that's, right. that's when it really, yep. once we get some precedent, uh, yep. then you can really take off with that roadmap. Yeah, that's right. So these states are kind of, uh, in this process of they've written it. Yeah. We've, we've drafted it a little bit different. Yeah. Looking at what, um, so Judge Wimes out of, uh, in Kansas City, the Western, uh, district yeah. out of Kansas City, came out with an opinion um basically it was the it so it's the united states uh department of justice versus the state of missouri uh is is what this court case is and he basically took what the doj wrote in their opinion or wrote in their their statement um and he took that and wrote his opinion based off that yeah um it was very disappointing completely Mm. ignored the 10th amendment Mm. um really focused on a couple provisions um, that really have, have no bearing on the bill. 1.440 is, is a provision in there that probably could have been left out now looking back, but they really focused in on that. And so the, the attorney general's office, AG Bailey has done a phenomenal job of arguing this, yeah. um, in the courts. And so, like you said, we're battling this right now. The state of Missouri is battling United States Department of Justice in the courts um, which of to figure course, out where this is going to go. Of course they're against it. Of course they're fighting. That's right. right? Yeah. Like. And, and that, so that's, that was the argument today um, that uh, the solicitor, solicitor General made was, look, they don't disagree um, with what we can do as far as the asserting our Tenth Amendment uh, authority or Tenth Amendment right as a state. What they don't like is the that it's actually working. Yeah. They hate the fact that our law enforcement isn't being commandeered, isn't being utilized to enforce something that Missouri citizens inherently disagree with. We've got a a president who's out there saying, hell yeah, we're coming for your AR-15, you know, and, and, you know, we need to limit and ban and all of these other words that, that Democrats have always said, oh, we, that's not what we're going to do. You know, the one I like when he goes, yeah, yeah, they'd bomb you. You couldn't stop the military. You know, they, they, you, right. you know, you got a fighter jet. You're going to beat that. He, yeah. li- he literally is like, yeah, yeah, we would, we would dominate you guys. It doesn't even matter. Why, why do you need guns? You might as well give up. <laughs> it was wildest statement. Yeah. I think, but it, it completely justified what we're talking about. That's right. The argument that always was compelling to me and when I share with others, I go, listen, this is a, this is precedented. Mm-hmm. I mean, marijuana is one of the best examples. Federally illegal. That's right. And all these states now allow it. FBI agent at any point in time could arrest someone for possession, but they don't because of anti-commandeering. Yep. 
Um, Another example is uh, the immigration. So during the Trump administration, when yeah. California said we are in a, a sanctuary state for these illegal immigrants, yeah. and we are not going to enforce federal immigration laws. In fact, we are not going to allow federal law enforcement to come into our facilities and enforce federal immigration laws. Um, fed, they, the Department of Justice under the Trump administration sued the state of California and the state of California won because mm. they asserted that 10th Amendment right, which is exactly what we're using um, for SEPA on Second Amendment issues. So what are the prospects? I mean, I think, and I don't want to speak for you too much, but I think our goal has always been uh, to see court precedent established in a federal court and, and really even more ideally in the Supreme Court uh, so that it becomes really a precedent for the land so that, that these laws can proliferate everywhere. Uh, what does it look like our chances are yeah. in this uh, in this with Western Western Circuit Court? Yeah, so we're in the Eighth District uh, Court of Appeals. Okay, okay. It's, um, they're out of St. Louis, and I think Minnesota is the kind of the district. But, okay. Um, we were supposed to be in court, actually in person in court last week on Friday. Yeah. And it was canceled because the judge had a conflict with his schedule, and so. I feel like it was last minute. Maybe it wasn't. No, it but was. Last minute, they said, okay, we're going to have oral arguments Friday, today, at 10 a.m., um, but it's only going to be online. So yeah. I was going to have an opportunity to go sit in the, just like I did in Kansas City. That's what I was going to I was going to join you court. that time. Right. Last week. Yeah, and uh, I, I was going to be up in St. Louis looking forward to it. Well, then they canceled it, and they only allowed online this time. Um, but we couldn't, uh, the average citizen couldn't watch it. Um, we had to listen to it, uh, via audio. I listened to it with the, uh, uh, attorney general or in the attorney general's office with him. And then we kind of discussed what was going good, on. Good. Um, so it, it was, it was really good. Um, some, some really good arguments again by the solicitor general did a phenomenal job arguing. And so one of the things that I have never understood completely is the way that he was arguing it and the way that he argued it in the district court. And he used this idea that, um, the um the the department of justice has no standing or they should have no standing to bring this case because it's not against them um if when the the law is enforced it would actually be on the local law enforcement if they violated the mm-hmm. rights of the citizens under under the bill and so um his argument has always been this idea that it, it wasn't on the 10th amendment although he agrees with the 10th amendment and he made kind of some of those same arguments um the attorney general explained it really well and said, look, if you've got a neighbor who has a swing set and you don't like that swing set because you think that it, it's dangerous and that someone can get hurt, well, you don't, you don't have standing to sue your neighbor because you think that someone's going to get hurt on the, their, their, their play set. Now, if your kid goes and gets hurt on the play set, then you have standing. And so he's just saying, look, they don't have standing to bring this case. It's our silver bullet. If the court agrees with us on that standing issue, it's game over. We win. Um, and then it goes, it could go back to the Missouri, which it has. We've been given favorable opinions already in the state of Missouri multiple times. Yeah. Um, and so I really think that we've, we've got a really good chance. And if it depends on how this goes, um, we could, go from uh so right now we had the three panel judge yeah had some interesting questions i i i felt like it was a little bit um more uh we were on the defensive a little bit more than what i thought um but the attorney general and the solicitor both said no actually those were really like they were more in our favor like we felt good about the questions where they went yeah um and so um depending on how this all turns out 
um, if we get a favorable uh, opinion or there's a chance that might, you know, we might get struck, struck down a little bit like that one section that I was talking about um, or we could get a complete win um, or we might lose, Um, you know, and if we do, and we have always expected, we've talked about this. Mm -hmm. We expect to go to the Supreme court. Our, the final, you know, decision is going to be made in the Supreme Court one way or another. Either we are taking it to the Supreme Court or the Department of Justice. We're both too interested in what's, you know, the outcome of this yeah. to just leave it at the Eighth Circuit. Yeah, yeah, no, and I think that will be the, you know, the really exciting time, a uh, really important time. And uh, and I, I've told everyone, you know, from the beginning, even after we passed, I said, uh, don't worry, don't worry. They're like, oh, it's being challenged. Oh, this court's saying that. I'm going, this is all a part of the plan. Right. We want it to go that far. Yep. Because once we get that decision, then it really codifies that roadmap that we were talking about before and provides a way that by the 10th Amendment, states can begin pushing back on a federal government. And I've said for a long time, I don't think the federal government's going to be limited by the federal government. And we send a lot of good That's people right. there and they're doing good work. Yep. It's not going to be limited by the federal government. Right. It's going to be limited at the end of the day by the state states. governments. Yep. And uh, and this is our effort, and if it proves to be successful, now we've got a, an effort to coordinate down the line on any number of issues in any number of states. So we we really appreciate the work you did to get us there, um, and now the work you're doing today to get other states there as well and uh, to to be there in the courtroom and paying attention and being diligent. So what is, uh, what's the sense of timeline? Uh, yeah. So we are, the attorney general said that typically they like to have uh, their decisions out prior to when their uh, law clerks leave, which is in August. Okay. So six months, we expect to have an opinion. Okay. Um, from there, again, it kind of depends on what happens, but we could either go before. So we have a three panel judge right now. Yeah. We could go uh, on bonk, which would be in front of the full eighth. Or we could go directly to the Supreme Court. Okay. Um, and so it kind of depends on how it goes, what it's looking like. Yeah. That would determine what we do next. Okay. So we just kind of have to make that decision once we receive that, that okay. opinion. Okay. And so we'll start, you know, making those plans right now. Like what happens if this, you know, so sure, just trying sure. to figure out what that looks like. Okay. Um, but yeah, you know, one thing kind of last thing that I'll say if I've got a little bit of time yeah. is so the, the way that the, the solicitor general, uh, finished the argument for the attorney general's office. Um, I'm just going to kind of read what he said because yeah. it was like a one, two punch. It was phenomenal. Um, the United States asked for an injunction not to free itself from regulation, but to free Missouri agencies from regulation. The court should stop that interference with state's core, with the state's core 10th amendment, um, authority. And it should permit the people of Missouri to bear their own, uh, to, I'm sorry, to keep their own local governments accountable. I mean, he was just phenomenal. He's like, look, great. The, you know, we, we need to hold our people accountable, and this is how we do it. No, I love that, and I, I love that we're finishing off with a quote here. Hey, Frizz, I even like the music playing here. It's kind of, you know, it's getting me all emotional here, talking about our Second Amendment. To take a serious and targeted response. 93.3 and AM 560, KWTO. This is the Elijah Har Show. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at 933KWTO and stream us on the 933 mobile app. Welcome back. 
Good afternoon. It is 5.06 on the Elijah Har Show. This is Bishop Davidson filling in for Elijah with just three more segments to go and another in-studio guest. We've had a great lineup. We had Cody Smith. We had John Patterson, Jared Taylor. We now have Eric Franklin here with us. Eric, uh, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing good. Yeah? Excellent. It's good to have you on here. Uh, Eric is a city councilman. Among many things, Eric's a city councilman in Republic and is also uh, set to become the mayor of Republic in like six weeks or a- something like April that. 2nd, April 2nd. April 2nd. April 2nd. And you've been very committed to our town for a long time. You've been very, uh, very fervent in your love for Republic, and I've loved to watch it. We met four years ago or so when I was on the campaign yeah, trail that four, first time. Maybe a little bit more than four yeah, years ago. Yeah, a little ago. more than four now mm-hmm. that I'm thinking about it. But, uh, but you know, it, it's, been a, it's been a meaningful relationship, and we've gotten to work together in some ways as I've represented Republic in the state legislature. You've represented Republic on the council. And now as the mayor, you're really representing the whole of Republic once you, once you take on that role in April. Absolutely. Um, and one of the interesting things I find as I interact with local politicians, local government officials, because we've got our federal, we've got our state, those are, uh, those are more known than, than, than not. You've got your commission, you know, your Green County Commission or your county commissioners, and then you've got your city councils or boards or whatever, whatever the structure is within that particular municipality. Um, and I think it's easy to see what a conservative is or isn't in our federal and state levels. I think it's a little bit harder for some reason. I, I don't know why. You know, I've got theories as to why that is. Sure. And you're you're not in your head. I know you as a conservative, um, and you're you're one of the few no votes on a on a semi consistent basis when it comes to that council. Uh, and it, I find it interesting also that. That there was no one who ran against you. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure there were some murmurs and talks, but I think they know how hard you work in your races too. Yes. But uh, but tell us a little bit about what it means to be conservative in a municipality. So I really appreciate what you had to say, and and you're right. And and you know your local government, it's a little bit harder to tell what what does conservative mean. Uh, for me personally, you know, conservative in local government, what it means is concentrating on you know the, the true purpose of government, whether it be police, fire our roads, our infrastructure, all of the things that government was the, the intention of government. Yeah. And so I, I see a lot, you know, smaller governments, there's a lot of, a lot of wants and a lot of needs. Of course, some of the citizens bring needs and wants to the, the forefront. And so a lot of times good intentions go a little bit further than, mm-hmm. than what we think. And it kind of leads us down a road where uh, it's not exactly where we wanted to go, a lot of unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. And so keeping government limited, even at the local level, I feel is very important in, in a conservative style of government. Well, yeah, and I, I feel like the you know local control has to be balanced with individual liberty. And, and we forget that local tyrants are a thing. Like that occurs, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. That's, that's, that's real. Mm-hmm. Your life can be oppressed. Um, maybe not in a way that's going to kill you and probably easier than, than in any other <laughs> it's easier to oppress you yeah mm-hmm. in, in the day-to-days of your yard is this or you need to be this far back or we can't let you build this or we Absolutely. can't let you do that right right um and it, 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 there, there's also a proclivity right for the the busybody person mm-hmm. <laughs> honestly they can have far more effect in a local government setting than they can in 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 a higher level office yes anyone that's involved can definitely have an effect in their local government so whether you have ill intention or good intention 
being involved and being a part of that is always a way to shape that. And so our local government, that's what we are, is we are what we are formed as and the citizens that are involved, that's where we lead to. So yeah, no, it's something I, I think about often. I actually, uh, I actually drafted a municipal bill today. I, I, I sent it in drafting today was like our, our deadline to, to, to get send filed. ideas, to research, to start that process, get underway. Filing ends, uh, next Friday. Okay. And so, um, I've been thinking about an idea for a while. I don't even know if I've, I've run it by you. I've been thinking about an idea for a while, but I'm getting more and more interested in this idea of local governments. And, and how we ensure that our liberties are, are maintained at all spheres of government. Mm-hmm. Have you, have you put any thought, uh, not just in terms of what, what you can do in Republic, but what you think we should be doing across municipalities, across the state? Is there anything that, that, that is obviously a hindrance to you, do you think? Or is it more about the day to day, you know, doing the hard work day to day where you're, where you're constantly keeping, like you said, focused on those main priorities? So I would say probably the things that citizens are most vocal about, of course, are the things in our community that cost the most. Yeah. And in in Republic right now, we've got uh, sewer expansion, um, a lot of different uh, expansion on our sewer system, a lot of costs that, of course, we we can't. We've we've got some compliance issues that we have to deal with as well. And so we, we have compliance issues. We have regulations and well that we have to fit into that take a lot of money and, and take a lot of funding and take a lot of our attention Roads is a big thing yeah. in Republic, of course, with traffic. We, we know it as growing, growing pains, and traffic is always an issue. Um, that's the biggest thing in, in you know, Republic as far as statewide, I think other people are dealing with. It really affects us, the bottom line. And, and Well, and so that's interesting. These compliance issues, correct me if I'm wrong, are these federal issues primarily? Are these, are these state so, issues, or are they federal issues passed through uh, the state? You know, I'm I'm not a, exactly an expert, but the best yeah, I yeah. can say, uh, most of this is all coming from um, MDNR and yeah. and on our you know our outflow and what we what what comes out of our sewer treatment plant and what sure. what happens in massive rainfalls. Um, right now, we've got you know compliance and we have a plan to to build that compliance, but as well as in the future, yeah. what's coming in the future that that's going to disrupt and and be an additional hindrance in another another compliance issue that we'll have to deal with yeah. in the future. Well, and that's interesting. I was talking with, uh, because it, it comes back to this compliance and over-regulation, and regulations, I mean, people don't realize it, they are the, the sort of uh, the sneaky assassin of, of taxes because they are a tax Very in a way, sneaky. right? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yes. th- it's a sneaky tax. Mm-hmm. It slips in, you don't know it. It's hot, it's hidden away. Mm-hmm. You didn't vote on it. Uh, it just happened. And another and good intention because, you know, in, in, in the beginning, they're, they're always to remove something or, you know, make it safer or to improve a product. And so that, yeah. that good intention leads down the road. So. Yeah. Well, and I, I was, uh, I was talking with another local official and, oh, a few weeks ago and he was talking to me about these international standards on codes mm-hmm. that, that building these, codes. These Big, massive nonprofit organizations that are funded by Bill Gates or Soros or whomever it is, and they're pushing these codes on these municipalities mm-hmm. who are a lot of times uh, unpaid or very low-paid uh, municipal municipal uh, you know officials, mm-hmm. city councilors who are, who are just trying to do their best, right? And uh, do what's right for their community. Yeah, do what's right for their mm-hmm. community. And oh, oh, this is yeah, this is the international code. Everyone in this whole state is is moving in this direction now, and these were updated. These are standards Europe uses, everyone uses. 
big public safety push and uh yeah these are the you're outdated though you're in the 2016 standards we need to get you caught up in those 2024 standards mm-hmm. and and he said no we are not doing that and, and so apparently not. green county's back uh, quote unquote back you know back in 2016 which I'm thinking, thank goodness, mm. let's get back to 2012 as far as I'm considered. Go back a little further. Absolutely. Because, uh, because it, 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 it's scary how I think some of these big agendas and these big donors behind these big agendas are now starting to recognize the power in local government and they're targeting, they're targeting their control there mm-hmm. uh, not just in the, the federal politics. And and that's absolutely something that, that does add cost. Uh, being I'm a mass, a master electrician in, in my day job, but uh, you know working in the building industry for so long, codes and code upgrades are always something that it, in my opinion, it really doesn't seem like cost is really taken into consideration too much when those additions are taken in. So when you're looking at building a new house, for example, when you're looking at green energy code and when you're looking at additional electrical code. There's a lot of added cost that goes into that. And sure, you're making it safer, but at what degree are you making it safer for the average person that lives in a home? Yeah. We live in safe homes. If you stay in a home that was built in 1930, the reality of it is it's just about as safe as a home today. And so when you're adding that cost onto that for a new home, you price it out of existence where you really can't afford to buy a home. I just thought of an idea. Uh, and I don't, literally, like off the top of my head. So what, sure. what if you somehow had a you know an analysis within the city where they put in the budget line item to their codes and said this is this is our analysis of the cost of this code the cost of implementing this the, code. the cost of this code yeah of implementing this mm-hmm. code this is the cost on the economy the local economy to, that we're putting to the government and the customer both yes so where there's yeah. a clear picture of yeah. what the cost yeah is. and just an, a fiscal note right like some sort of fiscal analysis obviously you're not going to be able to pin that number down precisely sure. but just the idea of saying hey there's going to be some sort of public accounting mm, for that cost uh that's just I, I don't know if it's even doable i'm just sitting here brainstorming as i'm listening to you it's, it's and, and i'm going that that's kind of an interesting and intriguing thought absolutely and that's something you have to think about you know long term too because if, if you if you have a project that goes on for several years of course you fall within a code line when you start that but now your next project that you may be doing two projects under two different codes mm-hmm. so it's it's uh keeping it minimal i think is is very important because that decreases the cost to the government to both enforce all of those regulations and it decreases the cost to the customer that wants to build that. Yeah. Meaning they have a smaller bank loan. They're paying less interest on that. Yeah. We pay a lot on interest on a, on a home loan anyway. And when you add all these safety features in them, the majority of them don't last the life of your bank loan. They're not going to last for 30 years. Yeah. Things like a smoke detector, well, it's going to last you 10 years. So you're paying on a 30 year loan you're buying three different smoke detectors in that 30-year loan that you're paying for that first one till the end. Yeah. So every safety feature you add really needs to be taken into consideration the long-term effect and the percentage of a loan and, and yeah. what that takes from a customer. No, no, I think that's uh, that's important. I feel like we're nerding out a little bit, Eric. Sure. We, no, that's like, wonderful. I, like, yeah. <laughs> like I'm getting into it. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, man, I wonder if you do this or do that or do this. And it's a good topic. It's, so. it's, it's something, and codes is something most people don't think about. Unless you're in the in building industry, you don't think about it. You don't think of the cost to added commercial buildings as well, which can be astronomical. Yeah. Just in controls and lighting controls yeah. and a lot of things to break. If, if you have 12 different bells to ring one whistle, then 
you have 12 different things that could go wrong just for that single function that you originally intended. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's pretty fascinating. So why is it that the conservatives have so much trouble, I think, getting into municipal office? What do you think that is? What's the, what are the challenges? Are we not asking the right questions? So are we voting I, at the wrong ballot or what's, what's, what's going on? There? It's kind of hard to say. Every area is a little bit unique in, in the municipality, um, how that city feels and, you know, kind of the heritage of that city. Mm-hmm. A lot of what I see as a problem is community involvement and just in having citizens that are involved, citizens that are involved in your planning and zoning commission, any commissions and boards that you have, citizens that come to city council and hold your city council accountable and hold your mayor accountable. Yeah. And having that involvement, I think, and, and having that supportive community, having the community educated on our process and what we, what our actual job is. You know, mm-hmm. we're, not, we're not the person that's supposed to step in and interject once everyone has followed a process. We're there to, to agree on a process and then to protect that process and pre- protect the citizens and protect everyone else that wants to vest their time or their money in Republic. Yeah, yeah, no. Well, brother, I, I certainly appreciate it, and uh, you know I've been excited uh, about your your mayoral race, which is now looking like a like a, a mayoral uh, transition, swearing in, yeah, transition. <laughs> which we and, have we have some very important council races too, so I don't we, want that to discourage anyone from coming out to vote. Yeah, we do have some important council races, uh, but uh, how do you feel, real quick, before we we go to our next segment, real quick? How do you feel about those council races? So right now we have four different council races that are contested that off the top of my mind. Uh, we definitely have some good candidates in there. Uh, we have some incumbents and we have some people that uh, have not been on government before that are contesting for these seats. Um, my advice would be to everyone in Republic to get to know these candidates before you go to the ballot. Um, now is the time to reach out, get to know them, email them, call them. Yeah. Just try. They, they don't always have time to reach out to everyone. So if you have that chance to reach out to those candidates, that's better in my opinion. There you go. Okay. Well, definitely appreciate it. Uh, Thank you very much. to be the, the new mayor of Republic, a conservative mayor in this area, and we really appreciate the work you do. Thanks for coming on the radio. Thank you. Hopefully I can get your vote. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. You got my vote. Absolutely, brother. Awesome. Thank so, you, Bishop. Uh, guys, you're listening to Elijah Har Show. This is Bishop Davidson filling in for Elijah. We've got two more guests coming up. Eric Burleson in our next segment, followed by Jay Ashcroft at 540. Stay tuned after this quick break to get an update from Washington, D.C. was lost, it's more I've gained, because it led me back. 560. You can support this terrorist act and hide behind anonymity. KWTO. Something must have gone wrong in my brain. This is the Elijah Har Show. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at 933KWTO and stream us on the 933 mobile app. Welcome back to the Elijah Har Show. This is Bishop Davidson filling in for Elijah with just two segments to go of a six segment show. It has been a nice, long, productive day. This is the last piece of that day, and we've got Eric Burleson, Congressman, District 7, on the line. Eric, are you there? I'm here. Deja vu. How's it going, brother? It's going great. (laughs) Uh, We talked this morning, so now we're talking to our afternoon and evening listeners. Um, And and I know that you you were back home in the district this morning. I hope that you haven't gone anywhere and you're still back home in the district now. 
Good deal. Good yeah. Deal. Oh, go ahead. Uh, just to get, you know, it's been a week of good, good meetings. And um, um, one of my favorite meetings, I was able to speak to a group of Ashgrove um, high school students. Oh, that's and awesome. So, that's awesome. I just spoke to a group of Kickapoo high school students in, in between the, these, these two radio shows. So that's honestly one of my favorite times personally is, uh, is talking with students. So. Yep. Me too. But if they're paying attention, if they're paying attention. <laughs> yeah. Which is always a little bit of a challenge. I'm sure they're paying more attention to you than they were, uh, one of 163 state reps, but, uh, I know we had talked a little bit this morning, but I want to make sure our listeners get a chance to hear your thoughts about Joe Biden's brother, James Biden, uh, you know, maintaining that hard line. Oh, no, there was no business dealings. He was never a part of it. He's never part of the finances, never part of the business. And you made a good point then that I, I, I was hoping you might make again for our listeners today. Yeah, the, the, at the end of the day, like the question of like, what is um, what is the definition of involvement? Yeah, because to most people receiving money, uh, <laughs> being on the phone with over two dozen of the business associates of Hunter and Jim Biden. And, um, and then also physically meeting with the, the people that they ended up contracting with uh, Joe Biden, you know, and, and then in, in addition did carried out some of the work by with famously with the Burisma example, where he he threatened our money, our taxpayer aid relief to Ukraine, the billion dollars he threatened to not get to not allow Ukraine to receive it unless they fired Victor Shokin. Yeah, and to me, it is that is the perfect example of the scenario where we've got multiple, you know, perspectives, multiple facts that all point towards some of these, uh, these same transactions. And I, I just don't, the, the notion that Joe Biden, I, you know, I, I can understand that the guy is, um, is kind of walking through life um, a little bit in a fog, but, but his complicit, he, him being complicit in these activities is, would be no excuse in any, in any other way. Yeah. In any other crime. Well, and, and, and the thing is, I mean, on the one hand, he, he literally may be a dementia patient, you know, and he's dealing with the challenges of aging and elderliness. But on the other hand, you still hold office. You still influence 325 million Americans. You still influence, uh, you know, billions around the world with your foreign policy choices and, and honestly, your foreign policy disasters. So it, it, the, the part of me that wants to be sympathetic is, is quickly stamped out by the part of me that demands accountability no matter your situation. And if that is your situation, then you shouldn't be in office. You shouldn't have run in the first place. So, I, I, I mean, I, it's always a kind of a divisive back and forth. And I've never in my lifetime, at least, and not in recent history, been able to think of a, of a comparable situation, right, where we normally are always able to just say, hey, you're, you're fully accountable and can be fully held accountable. This is one of those situations where I say you're fully accountable despite maybe not being able to be held accountable at this exact moment of your life. Because after all, this is decades of policy and decades of, uh, of personal actions leading up to this moment, too. It is. This is not something that the Bidens just simply 
started. They've been doing it for decades. They've had a, a pattern and that they were following. I think that they probably got better at hiding the money. It's, um, I, I, it's my belief, but, but we can't find it because uh, it's all that, that the Biden's figured out how to how to make transactions in foreign bank accounts. Yeah. Yeah. But I still think that, you know, what, to your point, all of these activities occurred when he was vice president and his cognitive abilities when he was vice president were, yeah, uh, were nothing like they are today. Yeah. But it, it, even if they, even if they weren't, there's no excuse. Yeah. We are held to a higher standard. Um, with, you know, the famous, Spider-Man quote, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. And all of us who, who put our name out there um, know that it comes with a, with a heightened amount of scrutiny into your life, into your finances, and yeah. everything that you do is questioned. Yeah. No, I, I think that's exactly right. And it, and it should be. You know what I mean? I, I, I feel like even I, at a state rep level, get a little additional account. I was just talking with a constituent today. I said, yeah, but at the end of the day, I don't mind. You know, like I, I would rather overzealous attentiveness and accountability than apathy, than not paying attention at all. I, I'd rather someone holding my feet to the fire, um, even if they're doing so in, in, a, in an aggressive way, than not being engaged at all. Because I distrusted government before I was uh, involved and close to government. I distrust government now, and I'm going to distrust government once I get out too. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate all that sentiment, and I think it's important that we continue to hold hold politicians' feet to the fire, even when I, unfortunately, even when it's my feet being held, even when my feet burn a little. <laughs> so <laughs> I want to change gears here just a little bit. You've been in Congress. My goodness. It seems like a long time. It's been a little over a year. Um, already... You're going to be refiling soon. I, I don't know when your filing deadline is, if it's the exact same as ours or what have you. Um, it is. I will be in Jeff City. Oh, you'll be in Jeff City uh, on Tuesday then. Okay. Well, yeah. So we'll, we'll, be, we'll be up there filing together. Um, in, in a lot of ways, you've been here before, but in a very important way, you haven't. This is your first time filing for re-election as a congressional candidate. What, is, uh, what does it look like? I mean, I, I had a, one of my... One of my one of the high schoolers that I talked to today said, you know, why should voters vote for you again? And it was actually really, you know, really cool little question he had. You know, why would the voters vote for you? So so let me ask, why why should the voters vote for you? You've been there for a year, year and a half. You're asking for their vote again come November. Yeah, I, I hope that the voters have seen my work ethic uh, from across the district. I whenever whenever I am in district. I try to spend as much time as I can in all the different communities. Usually I try to spend a day in Joplin, a day in Branson and a couple of days in Springfield area. Yeah. Um, And it's, and and, you know, all of those days are back to back meetings. I, I, I hope that the public has paid attention to my voting record. I'm not ashamed of my voting record. I'm proud of having a solid conservative voting record that, that I can put up, and compare to anybody. Um, so I, I hope that people see that and, and realize that it's not easy having a conservative voting record because it means that you're sometimes telling leadership no. It means that sometimes you're telling the lobbyists no, but you're doing it not for the for any kind of uh, personal gain or any kind of political gain. You're doing it because you believe it, in, in what 
that we need to ultimately save America. That, yeah. that this country has got to make some very difficult decisions that are very that are not popular. Yeah. And and so I hope that the public and the voters have seen that. Yeah. No, I and I, I think that they have. I I know one of my favorite things is I'll go uh, I'll go to the the freedom breakfasts over at Scramblers on Fridays and then all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, a congressman right there is just chilling, chilling at this breakfast, talking with folks, talking with uh with people who, who, who care about this stuff, who are paying attention federally, state, local. They're watching it all. And uh and, and guess what? You were there years ago too. I mean you were you were there when that those breakfasts first were starting and even now traveling back and forth between DC and uh, and the district here. Uh, I I still see you there on a on a pretty consistent basis, which I think speaks a lot to the kind of congressman that you um have been, are and uh, and I think continue to aspire to be as I listen to you talk here. Um are are you looking forward to the re-election season? I mean, what do you think in terms of that 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 kind of off year of Congress and that election year? You know, I'm, there's some aspects of it that I do look forward to. I think it, and this is just selfish for me that in general, Washington, D.C., the schedule is a lot lighter because they leave a lot more time for members to go back home and campaign. And so that means that I get to spend more time in the district, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, but I, but I also am not looking forward to the contentious primaries that are that we are inevitably going to see. I think that it's probably going to be, um, you know, the last time we had a, um, a governor race uh, and a lieutenant governor race that was competitive um, in the primary season. They, these were very ugly, ugly uh, primaries. Yeah, and yeah. so. We do have Hopefully. a we do have a, a busy primary season as I look at it this year too. Um, I mean, it, it was a it was obviously a huge election with uh, the state senate or not the state senate, the U.S. Senate shaking up and, and all the effects that that kind of rippled down down through uh, all the whole election cycle. Of course, we've got uh, you know gubernatorial a lot of statewide running running as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's every statewide is on the ballot except for the auditor. And so um, Scott Fitzpatrick. And so I, I don't think I've seen any murmurs. Those are all very contested seats. I don't think I have a primary opponent at this point in time. At least I haven't heard of one. No one has yet announced. Of course, they have an opportunity to file. Um, but I, I don't think I've heard of any murmurs of, of any uh, opposition to you yet. Um, and so it's always an interesting time right before filing for the next month here. You know, one month every two years, every uh, every folk who is uh, on the ballot sitting there going, I wonder if I'm going to draw a candidate or not. Mm-hmm. Well, and honestly, I don't mind it. I, I think that it keeps, I think it keeps you on your toes. It yeah. keeps you yeah. sharpened. Um, and so if, if someone decides for whatever reason to run, I'm happy to, I'm happy to give voters a choice. Yeah. I think that, I mean, there's things, you know, if, if voters choose for me to go home, um, that might be a blessing. <laughs> well we we appreciate you working hard and as far as this voter is concerned um i'm gonna send you back uh, sorry to say <laughs> uh don't blame me too much but uh but you also asked for it so uh <laughs> eric i i appreciate you coming on two segments uh, twice in one day two shows 
Um, I, I think it is important, though, especially when you're back here in the district, for folks to hear your voice and hear your perspective, hear what you have to say. Um, a- after all, it, it's the best way we can get insight into what's going on in our federal government. And I'm always glad to do it, Bishop. You're, you're doing a great job. Thank you so much. Guys, you are listening to the Elijah Har Show, 93.3560 AM. We have one segment left, one segment left of a long day. And if you hear the relief in my voice, it's because it's there. I start at 5.30 a.m., went to 9 a.m., had about a a half a dozen meetings between now and 4, and a solid two hours under my belt. I'm going to go play some sand volleyball after this, actually. That's my plan. Frizz is over there raising his eyebrows at me. At the Ozark complex? Yeah, at the big big old bubble down there. Yeah, Yeah, I know. Very, very nice. Yeah, it is it's really cool actually. So if you want to come join me, you're free to how do so. How are you still running? How am I are you like how are you still like how are you Oh, how do I have the energy? Yeah. I you know what? Maybe I don't. Maybe I'll get there and just fall asleep in the sand. I feel like I'm ready, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. I'm pretty competitive, so that I think the adrenal glands will kind of kick okay, something in. That yeah. Especially that's how I am. If I if I'm tired, just give me like a pickup basketball game or something and I'm I'm right back into there it. There you go. There you go. But we do have one more segment. Final segment, one last 20-minute stint before I get to go play some volleyball. Jay Ashcroft, gubernatorial candidate, current Secretary of State, is going to be calling in any minute now, and he's going to be... They are gone. Piano crap behind Red Lobster in Springfield. This is the Elijah Har Show with former Speaker of the House Elijah Har on 93.3 and AM 560 KWTO. Welcome back to the Elijah Har Show. This is Bishop Davidson filling in for Elijah in our six of six segments with Jay Ashcroft on the line. We've got you for the next like 16 minutes or something like that. I know uh, I know the the. The radio waves go black, right? At 5720 or something? 5750. 5750. But, Jay, are you there? I'm here. I got to tell you, you sound better than I've ever heard you sound, Elijah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, I think Elijah is fantastic. I really appreciate him giving me this opportunity. (laughs) Uh, He's very handsome and smart and intelligent and funny. And so. Oh, brother. So it's good to good to hear from you again. I know we talked this morning, and uh, I'm sure it's been a long day for you, too. On our way to Friday, I'm pretty excited about it, uh, excited about the weekend myself. But I uh, wanted to chat with you with our, our listeners out there who are probably driving home, looking forward to their weekends, too. Um, just chat a little bit more about uh, about what you what you've been up to. And uh, what's your last five days before Tuesday are going to consist of? Because you're kind of doing double duty, I feel like, on Tuesday. You've got both filing day from Secretary of State's perspective, given that you kind of manage that whole process, all the candidates are running through your office. And then you've got filing day from uh, your gubernatorial perspective as well, where you've got to file uh, for your own race. Yeah, it's going to be a fun day. I will, of course, as any one should. I'll focus on making sure filing goes well for everyone else. Um, I generally don't file in the morning. I wait till the afternoon. I I never want to be the guy that, you know, since it's my office, I don't want someone to have to wait because I'm filing. Uh, so I always focus on getting other people through and I'll 
probably file in the afternoon. But it's, it's a wonderful day to me, uh, and it's, I think it's an encouraging day for me to see hundreds of people that are willing to go through the process of running for office because they have ideas and want to make Missouri better. And I just think that's a great thing. Yeah, no, I think that is a, a good point of view. We had Eric Burleson on in the segment before you, and he talked about how, uh, you know, if, if someone decided to run against him, you know, he, he, he's encouraged by it. You know, he's happy for the choice to exist. I, I really do love when public office holders and public servants kind of take that 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 tact and that perspective. I think it's really encouraging for for young guys like me, for listeners out there uh, to, to hear you guys talk that way. So that makes a lot of sense in what you say. So one of the things that I feel like I see all the time is uh, is you absolutely everywhere. <laughs> I feel like it doesn't matter where it's at, some corner of the state, you seem to be somewhere talking with someone, talking with a group of folks. And when I am campaigning in full throttle kind of mode, which is, it seems that you're all about every county, every which way. I love how much I get a sense of what what the constituency, what the voters, what the people I'm talking with are looking for in their candidate, looking for in their public servant. Because polls are polls, right? I mean, you can get a sense of the issues that people say are important to them, to that person that calls them on their phone without really asking them. Um, but when they're talking to their candidate, there's something very real there. And, and I, I want to know, being that guy that I see absolutely everywhere across the state, what are the things that you're hearing from voters? You know, uh, prices, yeah. the prices of food. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many people in the last several months have gone to the grocery store and yeah. they've had to take something back yeah. because they were just short. Yeah. Uh, so many people have, tried to fill up their car with gas and said, oh, gee, I, I better not do that. I've got to make sure I have enough for this. That so many people are looking at their kids and saying, I, I, I can't sign you up for baseball. I can't sign you up for soccer. We just, it's not in the budget with all the costs. And then they're looking at the, at the government, and the government has more money than ever it's had. Yeah. If they look at state government that has doubled in five years, and they're mad, and they should be mad. Because government is supposed to serve the people. Elected officials are supposed to be public servants. And that's not happening. The government is just feeding itself, is growing itself, is, is giving itself everything it wants at the expense of the very people who created it and who it was created to serve and, in cre- and, and create an environment where they could be successful and excel. Uh, so people are mad and rightfully so. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, I think that really hits close to home. I talk with folks all the time, and it is it's it's higher than the inflation rate. If you actually take uh, you know an economic index of grabbing the items a person needs at the grocery store, it's more than the inflation. There's all these other costs that are hidden away that we don't realize, and I, I think there is something though that can be done. I mean, you're you're getting ready on a call of action here. I mean, the way you're talking. I think there is something to be done, even even if we're not the federal government. I think there's something we can do in Missouri. You know, think of all the the people that now they're younger than I am uh, that are that want to buy a house, and they're looking at housing prices, and they're looking at interest rates. Well, interest rates are the level they are because of the overspending by the federal government. Yeah. I was talking to an individual that built uh, houses in several states in this country. He said, in their analysis. 
30% of the cost of a house is because of government regulations. Yeah. It's, it's not just for that wood or for that tile or for those nails inherently. It's because the government is getting in the way. Yeah. And, 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 and every, every day people understand it. It's like every day when they try to do something, they're getting slapped in the face by a government that doesn't even say thank you. And and we're not even talking about real estate property taxes, right? I mean, they no. then tax on top of that that thirty percent increase in, in in cost, which I was just talking two guests ago with how coding and regulations <laughs> these are all sneaky taxes. I mean, they're all insidious sneaky taxes that increase your cost of living without you voting for it or knowing it. Well, yeah, and some of them are fees. They call them fees, but then they aren't really, you know, they use them as if they're taxes and for general revenue. It's just everywhere you go, the government is trying to take more from the people. And if you look at what's happening with our federal budget, where over half of it is being paid for by the federal government, we are spending money we don't have. Mm. That is a hidden tax on future generations. Mm, That's a good way of putting it. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. Did you hear that big sigh? I, I, I can't help though, but be optimistic. I still feel like there's a path forward. Um, although that path, and we had talked with Jared Taylor, uh, you know, a few segments ago about the 10th Amendment in relation to our second amendment, but really looking at the 10th Amendment more holistically and recognizing that the feds aren't going to limit the feds. You know, even the yeah. good guys that we send forward, like Eric Burleson, who's holding the front, they're not going to they're not going to be able to walk all that back. I think more than ever it is state governments that are going to make the difference. State governments that are going to limit limit the federal government. And we're already seeing this where the federal government is is dropping the ball where state governments are picking up the slack like in Texas and now Missouri after we've sent some troops. I'm glad we finally did. I'm I'm happy that I was well, I'm kind of sad that I was the first statewide to call for that. It seems to me that other people should have been calling it for it more quickly. But governors are where it's at. Yeah. Uh, it is a shambles at, uh, in Congress. And that, that, that's, you know, you had Burleson on. I feel sorry for him because he's a good man in a terrible place up there. Yeah. Uh, but we need governors to lead the way to take issues that the federal government refuses to talk about and turn them into national in, uh, issues to show a better way to run uh, states and, and, and just shame the federal government into acting better. Yeah, no, I, I, I have a, I've defined it, you know, a, a little bit colloquially as a wartime governor. <laughs> you know, you got wartime president. I mean, we've got to have that sort of tenacity and we've got to have that sort of willingness for sacrifice when it comes to actually pushing back against the feds. Because I tell people all the time, I go, guess what? If we do this, if we actually limit government, it's going to hurt just a little, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to affect a little bit of our day-to-day lives. But if we don't do this, it's going to devastate us down the line. And it's your kids and your kids' kids whose futures are at stake. Do we want to take a little bit of heartache for long-term gain? Or do we want to not do that and have long-term destruction? Yeah. No, I think that's... that's, uh, And and I do not want to be the father that has to answer to his children why the American dream is no longer there. I do not want to have to tell them, well, son, my generation, or my daughter, my generation gave it up. Mm. Over Mm. 200 years of being a beacon of liberty for the world, 
we've got to stand up and continue that for future generations. No, I think that's important. I think that's the rhetoric we need. I mean, I, I wish, I wish we were at a time where the separation of powers had, had been effective, where we had respected our constitutional boundaries, where the 10th Amendment meant something. I wish that we were looking for another just, you know, a, a sort of peacetime governor who just makes sure that the roads are paved, who makes sure that the, the things are done, the lights are on, so on and so forth. And, of course, we've got to keep doing that. Of course, we in the state house have to, got, have to keep doing that. We have to consider those things. But I, I just feel like we lose some of our tenacity and get lost in some of the normal things sometimes and, and don't realize that those normal things are not going to be a normal way of life if we keep going at the tax we're on. I, I can't agree with you more. And um, it really is a decision as to whether or not we're going to be slaves to the government or we're going to be free men making our own decisions and whether the government will be, a, will, will, will be under us. Yeah. That's the decision we have to make. And we are, as Frederick Hayek would say, we're on the road to serve them. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate, uh, appreciate your thoughts. I'm getting all fired up here. <laughs> reminding me why I ran, reminding me why I'm going to be filing again come Tuesday. Because it, it, it can be a discouraging place. It can be a hard place. I can't imagine Eric up in D.C. because I have such trouble in Jeff City. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm refreshed. I'm renewed when I'm talking down here with constituents, when I hang out, even on the busy days, the busy Friday, Fridays like I've had today. But I'm also, uh, I'm also encouraged and refreshed to hear, hear, hear some of your vision and at least hear such clarity in terms of where the problems are. Um, because half the battle is identifying the problem. Uh, you know, sometimes we get caught up in solution after solution. And we're off solving something that's not really a problem, and we're ignoring the problem that's actually at hand. We just have to tear down the government. Not all of it, not saying that, but we have to reduce the size and scope of government. We have to do that with a vengeance so that people can make their own decisions, so they can spend their own money, and they can meet the maximum of the God-given potential. That's the only way for it to happen. Well, I appreciate, again, the vision i can't i can't can't tell you enough i appreciate being kind of fired up as i'm sent off into uh into my friday evening um it'll be a busy weekend for me yet but i'm all the more excited to get back into the state legislature on monday and continue continue the good fight uh, it means a lot to to hear your words here on the radio well thank you i encourage anyone that wants sign up throw your hat in the ring work to make missouri a better place Awesome. Jay Ashcroft, current Secretary of State, candidate for governor, uh, running that race now. will file at the end of the day on Tuesday after he makes sure the rest of us get our uh, our papers in order. Uh, do appreciate you coming on two segments on two shows all in one day. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you so much. Guys, it has been a stellar show. What do you think? I haven't really talked to you. No, I just much. kind of been sitting back and enjoying. I'm glad. I'm glad you could get fired up before you could uh, go play volleyball. Yeah, go play volleyball. Your, yeah. your vertical for the spikes are going to be much more high. Oh yeah, you're, that, you're just going to be. They're going to see a vengeance that he was talking about in my spike. They're going to be, man, are you angry at me? What, what, what was that about? But what he's saying <laughs> is true. You know, you and I are both young guys, Bishop. We're going to be paying for this whenever yeah. we're in our 30s, 40s, or 50s. Yeah, and we're going to be telling our kids, well, we just. 
we couldn't do anything about it at yeah. the time. So I love guys like Jay Ashcroft. I love guys like Eric Burleson. You know, they're fighting the good fight, but there's right now it seems like just a select handful and a pond full of just people that are out for themselves and not for their country. Mm, no, I, I think you're I think you're spot on. I am optimistic though. I'm too I'm too young to be pessimistic, is what I say. And so I've got to find a way to be hopeful. Um, but conversations like that help me be hopeful for sure. Guys, we've had a, a solid show. We had Cody Smith, who's our budget chair, running for treasurer at 4 o'clock. We had John Patterson, our speaker-elect. And we talked, I loved our, our interview with John, talked a lot of good things. You know, Cody's bill, he said, would come up, making us even more pro-life of a state. Uh, we, had, uh, we had him talk a little bit about the importance of the ancillary issues that lead to violence, whether it's crime prevention, education, health care. We talked with Jared Taylor about the Second Amendment Preservation Act. We talked with Eric Burleson about what's going on federally and and how he's trying to hold the line up there, which is such a hard task in D.C. And we capped it all off with Jay Ashcroft again, uh, just talking about really the problems we see today and what it's going to take and how it's going to take a governor pushing back against the feds to see any any sensible reform, any sensible difference any future or path forward for, for not only us, but our, our children and grandchildren as well. Guys, it's been an honor uh, being on the radio with you today. We're wrapping up five and a half hours, and honestly, it's been